important to remember where we started. That we started on an island with a man named John who's old and frail. And I imagine him on the beach and I imagine him kind of resting on the Lord's day and he, and he enters a spirit-filled trance and he sees the risen Jesus in front of him. And the risen Jesus is like nothing he'd ever seen before. It wasn't the Jesus from Galilee. It wasn't the, the death, the, the dead Jesus. It wasn't even the resurrected Jesus in human form. It was Jesus, fully God, fully man, incarnate, holding the keys to death in Hades. And Jesus says to him, write what you see. You're going you're gonna to go on a journey, John, and write down what you see. And what John sees is indescribable. He does his best. And the moment he sees Jesus, and the moment Jesus is gone, John is whisked to the throne room of heaven, where he sees the one, the ancient of days, the one who sits on the throne of heaven, surrounded by the 24 elders, surrounded by the four beasts, beneath him a sea of, of glass. And it's perfection, and it's timeless, and it's worshipful, and it's holy. And it's overwhelming, John. And after there's this beautiful display, the, these, these scrolls are unsealed. And this march of time and judgment begins. And after the seventh seal is opened, there's silence across the universe. And John then is moved to this dark sky where he sees this battle in the sky take place with a woman made of light giving birth to a child who's rushed away to the throne and a dragon who's attempting to eat the child, who's cast down to earth. And as he's watching this dragon fall, he realizes it's actually the devil, the accuser, the Satan, and this cosmic battle in the sky and the heavens is over. But now, John is standing, watching this sea, this now blackened sea on earth, thrashing about, waves forming, cutting, splitting. It's chaos. It's frightening. It's, it's terrifying. And as John is watching this sea thrash about, he can see that the dragon is now skulking and lurking along the shore. It's no longer a, a, a collection of stars, it's, it's an embodied beast. And the dragon's eyes are fire red, its nostrils are flaring, it's full of rage, hate. And it looks to the heavens and snaps and snarls, it's furious that it's lost the battle in the stars. It hates the one on the throne, but more it hates his creation. The dragon hates the earth, because on earth is where the one who sits on the throne's people live. And the one who sits on the throne loves his creatures. He loves his people. He loves his creation. And the dragon, filled with hate, rage, jealousy, wants nothing more but to destroy the thing that the one loves. Most importantly, because he hates the child who sits beside him. The dragon is looking, and John is looking at the dragon. The dragon is now peering out at the sea. It's focused on something that John yet, he can't yet see. The dragon's 
locked eyes at something in the distance, almost as if it's beckoning something from the waters forward. And there's a new ripple forming in the waves, and the ripple turns to a wave, and the wave turns to foam. And then John, he's rubbing his eyes, is that an island emerging from the sea? No, no, John, no, it's not an island, it's it's a head. It's a head popping out of the waters. Yes, it's a head, actually, it's, it's seven heads. Seven heads is one with ten horns and a crown on each, and on the, the faces of these, of these heads are blasphemous words. And John realizes that he's watching a beast rise from the sea. And the dragon is luring it out of the water. And as the beast lifts its enormously huge frame, what John tries to describe is indescribable. Yet he does his best. He, he sees that it looks like a leopard and a bear and a lion. And it's chinked with shield armor. And its arms are massive, as if they could stretch across the entire sea itself. It is formidable. It is gigantic, draped in red, flags adorned with spear and metal, girdled with gold. It looks like a beast, like a building, like a person, like a thing. And it comes closer and closer to the shore. And as it does, John can see it tearing up the sea floor. It doesn't care about its power or its destructive force. This beast is destroying everything in its path. And it lifts its lumbering legs and just cuts the earth like a plow and stands above the dragon, casting an enormous shadow across the land. And it is enormous. The dragon looks like a mouse beside it. But it isn't afraid. If dragons could smile, this one had a devilish grin. And it climbs with its wings up to the beast's face. Its faces and it breathes its breath onto it. And every breath the dragon breathes, it, it somehow seems to shrink. And the beast somehow seems to grow. The dragon is giving its power to the beast. John can feel it. He can see it. And this whole scene is disturbing him so, so deeply. This enormous, formidable thing that's come out of the waters of chaos. And the dragon, who is the devil, who's now given its power, John doesn't even notice that by now, tens of thousands of millions of people have clamored underneath the shadow of this beast. And they're all looking and pointing. And they're admiring. They're enthralled. They're entranced by its size. By its grandiosity. What has ever been like this beast before? They say. Who could ever go to war with, with this? It's invincible. Look at it. It's powerful. It's, it's beautiful. It's strong. It's awful. 
And the people are entranced. How could you blame them? For even a moment, John is impressed by the size of the beast. It's undeniably powerful. Then someone shouts out, look, John hadn't seen. There's a, a, a death blow on one of the heads. It's, it's bleeding. This beast has been struck, and yet it lives. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. The crowd applauds. They cheer. They're excited. They fall into worship of the beast. Well, as this is happening, there's, there's a tremor across the ground. And the earth begins to shake. And out beneath the shadow, underneath the feet of this beast, the earth splits apart. And it looks at first as if a rat is coming out of its hole, burrowing up from the ground. But John looks down and he can see it's actually a smaller beast, much smaller. And at first, John catches the glimpse of it. It looks as if it's a lamb. It has two horns. But the moment it opens its mouth, it has the sound and the voice of the dragon. And the smaller beast is sly and cunning and mouthy and arrogant, blaspheming the one and giving worship to the beast. And it goes around performing tricks and enthralling the crowd with magic and sorcery pointing to the exceptional nature of this beast. You must be on the side of this thing, the smaller beast would say. The people agreed. How could you ever fight this beast, the smaller beast would say. And the people agreed. Take its image, the smaller beast would say. Most people agreed. But by now, the dragon is lurking and snaking through the crowd. Anyone who doesn't agree, anyone who refuses to take the image of the beast, is killed, removed from the scene. It was subtle at first, something that John didn't quite pick up until he really started to watch as this whole interchange is happening, that there were people in this crowd who, who weren't buying it. And they were killed. And the smaller beast continued to talk and continued to blaspheme. And eventually it says, in order to be with us, you must take us on. You're with us or you're our enemy. There's no in between. Take the beast's image. Take his sign, the smaller beast would say. Take it on your hand or your forehead. And then we will know who is with us and who is against us. John's stomach drops as he watches throngs of people line up to take this signet seal stamp, the mark of this beast, on their hands and their foreheads. One after another after another. All the while, this beast grows stronger, more clumsy, more destructive. 
As it moves and sways, it tears up the earth and crushes the trees and soils the water. It cares not. And the people line up and take the mark. And John is devastated. I imagine John falling to his knees and sobs and weeps. How could God's good earth, how could his good creation, filled with his good creatures, be so deceived by such a monstrosity? How could such a beautiful thing be so soiled and ruined? He's devastated. And then he looks up and he sees and what he sees takes his breath away. The lamb standing on Mount Zion, 144,000 standing there right with him. His name and the name of his father inscribed on their foreheads. And then I heard a voice, John says, out of heaven, a sound like a cataract, like the crash of thunder. And then I heard music, harp music, and the harp is singing a new song before the throne. And the four animals and the elders, only the 144,000 could learn to sing the song. They were brought from the earth, lived without compromise, virgin fresh before God. Wherever the lamb went, they followed. They were brought from humankind, first fruits of the harvest for God and the Lamb. Not a false word in their mouths, a perfect offering. The story of the revelation, the revelation of Jesus, is a cosmic, timeless story. The number, the mark of the beast, 666, we've talked about several weeks back about hermeneutics and the meaning of what we think the text is saying. And there's a bazillion ways that this has been interpreted as to how, what this means, how this goes, what it could mean in the future, what it meant in the past. And you can go on a million rabbit trails if you want to. Just, don't YouTube it, but... Don't, you Google it and just see where it goes. What John sees, however, I believe is pretty distinct. He's seeing empire. He's seeing a parallelism. And it's, and it's right there in the text. It's right there in his story. If you have eyes to see it. There are two concurrent stories side by side happening. And one is, the, one is the real story, the truth story, and one is the shadow story, the deception. Everything that God does, the dragon imitates falsely. Everything that God wants to do, the dragon wants to do the opposite. The lamb who was slain, who is not dead, comes to the throne room of God and is the only one who is able to unseal the scrolls. The one who comes out of the earth looks like a lamb, 
but speaks like a dragon. The beast that it, it calls to worship has a, a supposed death blow. And, it, and it's still alive. It looks like it has experienced death and resurrection, but it hasn't. The dragon wants to destroy the goodness which God has made. And I believe, I believe what I see John trying to say is that this is not so much about future and past, but that ever-timeless problem with the destruction of our planet through empire, greed, violence, hatred, self-interest. And it's the easiest thing to worship the beast. Who can stand in its way? For John, it's Rome. Rome, there, I, I was reading and one scholar said that by the time, and this is interesting because it's like when you go through the, his, the historical narrative of things, it's, it, it, I never thought about it this way. When you look at the Roman Empire at its height, it's surrounding the Mediterranean. It's north, south, east, west. The entire Mediterranean is now owned and controlled by Rome. But it wasn't always that way. There were other empires who had parts along the coast. It wasn't until later in, the, in their conquest that they unstoppably, without anybody being able to contest them, dominated the Mediterranean. And then they called it their sea. They took ownership over the sea because of their thirst for power. Nothing could stop them. And while John is on the island of Patmos, old and aging, the empire of Rome will only grow stronger. And one way to see this story is to say, this is, this is John's story that applies to all of us. N.T. Wright, I love N.T. Wright, talked about him many, many times. Rome isn't the first empire, it's not the last. Rome isn't the first conquesting, thirsty, power-hungry, violent, dominant empire to rape and pillage the earth in the name of itself, and it won't be the last. And yet, despite the temptation and the lure to take on the image of empire, to become prostrate in worship to empire, there is another one who sits on the throne. And in this timeless story, this person has already conquered. And in fact, John is suggesting heavily that this quest for empire is actually permitted by the one who sits on the throne. Because this story is already told. Jesus is first and last. He is beginning and end. When John feels so distraught and he looks to heaven and he sees the throne and he sees the king on the throne, he's rest assured that despite the violence of empire, despite the ravaging effects of the destruction of empire, Jesus is actually king. And he rules with peace and justice and mercy and he invites us to take on a, a different image, his own. 
and not to fall into prey to the lures and the trappings of the dragon who only wants to destroy the goodness in which God has built. And as the story of the Revelation kind of comes to its epic climactic battle and its finale, there's something that really stands out to me because this is a, a heavy story. It's the gathering of the saints. And it's, like, this happened again, Ron. Like, honestly, Jen, every week, Jen and I, when we debrief on Sunday, every, almost every single week, stuff like this happens where things just line up. And it, I don't know how that happens. Well, Jesus, probably. The Spirit of God, probably. (laughs) There you go. But your, your psalm this morning, I didn't, I didn't, we weren't talking. J- like, yeah, just think of the image of, of the beast and the collection of the saints, as John will call them. The, the ones that are following Jesus, the ones that have taken his mark. And let this, this psalm of David just kind of wash over you. As we're going to prepare for communion in a minute, just, just let this soak in. Psalm 24, God claims earth and everything in it. God claims world and all who live on it. He built it on ocean foundations, laid it out on river girders. Who can climb Mount God? Who can scale the holy north face? Only the clean-handed only the pure-hearted, men who won't cheat, women who won't seduce. God is at their side. With God's help, they make it. This Jacob is what happens to God's seekers, God questers. Wake up, you sleepyhead city. Wake up, you sleepyhead people. King glory is ready to enter. Who is this King Glory? God armed and battle ready. Wake up, you sleepyhead city. Wake up, you sleepyhead people. King Glory is ready to enter. Who is this King Glory? God of the angel armies. He is King Glory. Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are King Glory. We thank you that you are the one who actually claims earth. You actually claim the ocean because you made it. Jesus, that you actually claim us because you made us. You love us. We thank you, Jesus, that from the beginning of time, you were already victorious. We thank you, Jesus, that through history, you have shown up time and time and time again victorious. We thank you that we can enter this narrative, this story, that these, this past and this present and this future, this conquest of empire that ravages the world, that you are actually the one who sits over top of it and underneath of it and behind it and beside it and through it. And that you call us to wake up. 
to wake out of our sleep and to follow you, to put our trust in you and to resist the dragon. And so Jesus, I thank you that not only have you claimed victory, that you are walking victory, that you invite us into victory, and that you show us how to be victorious through your spirit. And that Jesus, that we can be marked not by uh, the image of the beast or the number of the beast or the power of the beast, but we can actually be marked by you. And our hearts can be set apart for you as we follow and as we become more like you. And through your spirit, you are actually forming us and shaping us in your image, which is one of love. I thank you, Jesus, for this incredibly powerful story. And I pray now as we enter into a time of communion that we would be able to reflect on, on, on who you are and that you would speak to us even now in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.